Okay. Ah, uh, boom. Big Shack. Ota Asneak. Scoop no. Rat no. Usna. Ota the girl them as well. Boom. Perspiration. Man's got perspiration. Perspiration. Man's got perspiration. Go off them hoes. No lack, go off them hoes. Take my thoughts. Hey folks, welcome back to another edition of the Orlando Soccer Show. We're coming off a win for Orlando City. We're coming off a draw for the Orlando Pride. We're coming off a loss for the OC Academy 23s. And UCF headed to the Sweet 16. We're going to talk about all of that here in the next hour and probably a half. Because that's usually what we end up doing these days. But the whole crew is here. Kyle Foley, Brad Newton, myself, Austin David, and Ga- oh wait, Gavin's not here. He bailed. This bozo over here. Hashtag fire Gavin. Hashtag fire Gavin. Bring it back. We haven't used that thing in a long time. Usually it's me. Usually it's me that commits to doing stuff and then backs out at the last minute. So I kind of respect him for playing my game. I like that. Has he done like any other fireable offenses lately? Like since this? Besides not writing anything? That's no. Oh. Not really. Oh my god! <laughs> wow! Ah, <laughs> uh, love it. Well, anyways, uh, we got a lot to talk about today. We're gonna go right into it with the Orlando City FC Cincinnati game. And yeah, we talked about it last week. We said if Orlando doesn't win by more than three goals, they're doing something wrong. And they won three goals to nil against the Cincinnati team that is, in fact, bad. And you're dirty brown water trash. And you're always going to be dirty brown water trash. This is, in fact, a, a statement from the city of Cincinnati to their team. And uh, in, in by extension it's a it's a statement to the state of ohio from the universe it's also a metaphor to describe skyline chili yeah yeah dirty brown water trash yeah it's hard to overstate how bad that is it is in fact bad some would say it is in fact dirty brown water trash diarrhea that is what you'll get when you eat Skyline Chili. Uh, but enough roasting Skyline Chili. Let's talk about the game versus SC Cincinnati. Tesho Akindeli scores the fastest goal in Orlando City's history by a good 30 seconds thanks to an egregious error by center back Nick Hagland. And for those who are wondering, wait, Nick Hagland feel like i've heard that name before yes he played for toronto fc back in the day and in fact uh has had horrible times playing at orlando city stadium slash exploria stadium uh, we posted a gif over at the orlando soccer show twitter account which if you for some reason don't follow that go follow it also how are you here that's kind of yeah, amazing i mean you know thanks for finding us in some other fashion uh but we posted a gif of Nick Hagland back in his Toronto FC days where he just absolutely whiffs a clearance and just takes a, a huge tumble. Um, so he has he has basically had the worst time of it at 
Exploria Stadium. And um, it continued this past weekend when he gifted Tesho a goal in the 31st second. So that changed the whole complexity of the game because obviously goals change games, as uh, Adrian Heath always used to say and still does. But Orlando was up one nothing very early on, and they didn't look back from there. Because FC Cincinnati was so bad, they really didn't challenge Orlando at, like at all. Like a little bit in the second half. I will give them a little bit of credit because in the second half, they looked a bit more dangerous. But Orlando's defense has been really, really good. And considering that you have Kyle Smith and Rodrigo Schlegel, who are technically backups, playing for them right now, you respect that effort even more that they've had two clean sheets in three league games. That's impressive. And now you're getting Jean Moutinho back. He played the last couple minutes of the match against Cincinnati. Uh, Robin Janssen, he's on the bench right now because, I mean, let's face it, Rodrigo Schlegel's earned himself a starting spot right now. Uh, until he messes up, there's no reason to force Janssen back into the lineup. So I think he's there until he's not. And yeah, it's, it's been an impressive defensive performance from this team over the first three games of the season. So I, I, I agree with you that it's been impressive. However, the caveat to that is, what has it really gone up against? The, how much of a test has there really been? Right? It wasn't Atlanta at full strength. Maybe maybe Kansas City and then Cincinnati is dirty brown water trash. So it's yep. like we talk about the defenses looked really good. It, it's kind of similar to talking about some of the positives we've seen from the team over the last couple weeks. It's also like, OK, but it's early season. And what has the competition been? So we talked right. about this. We talked about this outside of the show. But like Robin Jansen needs to like that's that's his spot. And he is the better of the options in that position i i I mean yes but i i still feel like you go with the hot hand and until there is a reason to not have rodrigo schlegel in rodrigo schlegel will be in i think with with kyle smith jean moutinho is such an offensive weapon as well as a, a defensive stalwart plus he's young and he's he's got the world ahead of him as long as he stays healthy i think he's the guy that you're gonna want to put in quicker compared to a guy like Robin Janssen because with Rodrigo Schlegel they know his ability they kept him for a reason you know they originally loaned him in and then signed him so I feel like they they feel like he has a very high ceiling as well as a young player and if you don't give him some playing time he's not going to be able to develop in the way you want and if he's playing well keep him in let him let his confidence just boom and he could become a very, very good defender over the course of the year. You know, no, and I say that at the expense of Robin Janssen, but that's just how the game goes. I think you're right. And I think typically if you have someone who is younger, who is producing and who is playing pretty well, you want to kind of ride with that more than just going back to, okay, thanks, you've been doing well, but we're going to go back to the player who realistically is not going to be a part of the team's future for as long, at least at least. It seems like that's the club approach these days, which I think is is a good thing. And that is what you want to see as long as obviously there's nothing glaring, no obvious fatal mistakes for the club, which I which I don't expect to see. Right. And again, like you said, first three games of the season, competition hasn't been the greatest. This game coming this weekend against NYCFC will probably be the biggest, the first 
real test that this team has faced. I would say that Sporting Kansas City was a good test, um, but they didn't have Johnny Russell and Alan Pulido starting. They came off the bench in the second half. And to be fair, Orlando did well against them, but you didn't get the full strength attack uh, for Kansas City. And again, even when they had, you know, a, a number of, of starters uh, playing, the only reason that Kansas City scored a goal was because Orlando just shot themselves in the foot. So that's one thing that they kind of learned from when playing out of the back goes wrong. Uh, this week, they had there was absolutely no pressure to, uh, for the center backs. Like, FC Cincinnati dropped so deep that anybody in the back line for Orlando could basically hold the ball for the entire 45 minutes and nobody would pressure them. For the first 45 minutes, that was the case, where nobody was pressuring the back line. And then the second 45 minutes, they put a little bit of pressure on and kind of forced Orlando to be more proactive in playing out of the back. But, I mean, there was like (laughs) hardly anything. So I, I think over the last three games, honestly, what we've seen for Orlando is the first two games were more of a test of the team's defensive capabilities, maybe less so the Atlanta United game, but it was more of a test of, of how well can Orlando play defensively. And then this last mm-hmm. game was the opportunity to go, okay, you don't have to worry about stopping them because they're not a threat in any way. You just have to worry about trying to score without your primary options. Are you capable of doing that? You haven't been over the last couple weeks. Can you do that now? Can you do it well in a game that you're expected to do it in? And they did, and they showed up. So I think it's it's been interesting to see over the last three weeks kind of three very different games, but really the first two were more focused on the defensive side for Orlando City, right? We knew, and we talked about it on the show, we knew that Orlando was missing key attacking players. Obviously, we know DK's out, but, but even missing just other, you know, other pieces that are very important and then having an opportunity against Cincinnati where it's hey don't worry about that just score who really cares who's out there can we do it and that was the question we were asking is can Orlando do that can Orlando score with the pieces that they have available right now and we were able to see this last week albeit against bad competition that yes they are capable of doing it so what will be interesting mm-hmm. to see is can they not expecting to put up three goals against every team right especially against good teams or even halfway decent teams. But now that we've seen some really good, uh, just attacking play, the question is going to be, are we going to get to see that against some tougher defenses now or against teams that we have to watch out for that have the ability to attack and try to score, which Cincinnati does not have such as NYCFC this coming weekend. Oh, it's almost like it sets up perfectly for that. It does. I will say though, uh, Tesho Akindeli, he played 85 minutes his past game. And for the majority of the game, he looked incredibly lively. Like, there are some games where, where Tesho's kind of there, um, but it seemed like Oscar Pereja basically told Tesho, hey, just pressure the hell out of the entire back line and see what happens. And he did, and it, he just looked incredibly lively. Like He looked like Tesho from a couple years ago when he was playing in Dallas even. Um, It was his 100th career start, so maybe that had a little bit to do with it, where he was just kind of feeling it a little bit. He's like, yeah, let me me show off. Let me make this a memorable 100th start or something, Uh, which he did, you know, in 33 seconds. And I was impressed with him, you know. Put put some respect on the man's name. Everybody's been saying, oh, what are we going to do without Daryl DK? But 
you know, Tesho has has been there. He's he's been able to to score goals for this team over the course of the last three years since he joined uh, the club back in 2019. He was a double digit goal scorer in his first year with the club, uh, which was the first time in his career he has ever done that. By the way, uh, last year you had Daryl DK, so he wasn't getting as many chances up top. And this year he's got a goal through three games. So, I, I, you know, he's he's a bit older compared to some of the other players that you may want in your starting lineup, especially up top. He's 29, but in all honesty, like he's 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 proven himself, uh, especially in this past game with his pressure and his ability to put the ball in the back of the net. So, let him keep going. Well, and I think. Coming into the season, this is the way we saw him as what the th- the probably the third best player in that position. If if you're considering DK and right, right. Alexander Pato, right. yes. So to to have what is essentially your third option come in and 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 play really well and impress, I think is a good thing. It, again, that's not a guy you expect to come in and score every game or or even be a, a vital part in every game, but just. Can you still contribute so that if or when we have other pieces back, you're kind of filling that role off the bench and not clearly Akindele is not going to be the number one option. That that wasn't the plan at least, but being able to see some positivity out of him is is very encouraging. You don't you don't want to have reserves who can't do anything. You don't want to have guys on the bench who you go, oh shit, why is he in the game? That's that's not great. Yeah, I've kind of said since the Atlanta game that looking at how some of these game situations are playing out it's it, the the starting lineup is basically what you're going to see at the end of some games later down the road so if they're able to contribute and score goals it, it's you're basically looking at how the team is going to finish games later in the season that's basically how I'm sort of looking at a lot of these rosters and and lineups right now is just taking it situationally more than like an actual true snapshot of what this team is actually going to be. I would I would agree with that. I think well for for a, a some semblance of positions, yeah. Cuz I mean, we're we've only this was Mauricio Pereira's first game back. Mm-hmm. Um I think we're starting to see, you know, we saw Yal Moutinho get substituted into the game later on. Mm-hmm. Uh we're we're really starting to see like okay, this this team is starting to get more match fit. It's starting to maybe come along a little bit more. NYCFC might be the the true first game of the season for like an, an optimal lineup of how this team might look. I mean, obviously, again, we've said it. Sans DK, who is still going to be with Barnsley for their cha- their playoff run, uh, yep. at least. So, I mean, NYCFC, I think we've, we've said is really their, their true test. I mean, looking back at, at other games this season so far, um, just from a strictly XG standpoint, uh, Atlanta United had maybe the highest with a, a 0.93. Uh, Sporting Kansas City had a 0.37. Uh, FC Cincinnati, weirdly enough, had a 0.46, even though, uh, you know, I guess they were a little bit more threatening than Sporting Kansas City was, even though... K- KCE actually scored against Orlando City. Yeah, I mean, again, the the ex- that was because of 
the turnover that Orlando had, right. it wasn't really an expected goal because they didn't create their own chance. Orlando gifted them the chance. Right, which, um, which again, they're when playing it out of the back goes wrong. That's that's where that, yes. that goal came from. A hundred percent. But with Cincinnati, uh, they had zero shots on target but took seven shots. Um, you know, they did at times stretch the back line a little bit and force them to, to step up, but um, – the, the only real chance they had on goal was offside when they tried to chip Pedro Galese and Galese just still managed to get a hand on it. Well, and Sporting Kansas City had five shots on goal. So I guess that's, mm-hmm. that's where that discrepancy comes from a little bit, where if you're looking at it just purely from a numbers game, that's, that's why FC Cincinnati is going to look a bit more threatening on paper than, skc did so yep and it's it's funny because like um on the new mls website which is one of the only good things about the new mls website by the way uh they have the passing network like the passing breakdown Mm -hmm. charts and maps and if you look at orlando's you know they basically had antonio carlos and rodrigo schlegel in the back uh kyle smith and sebas mendez were basically playing as like in tandem midfielders Uh, juan was uh, playing across the uh, midfield line most of the time uh, and they were basically playing in like a in a 3-5-2 a or a 3-4-3 three, three almost and that's how far up the field they were playing meanwhile Cincinnati had a total of like one guy on the uh, other side of the field for the entire game and it was Isaac Antaga and he was the only one that was like pressuring Basically, every other player was behind the midfield line, including their forward, Brenner. He spent most of the game behind the midfield line. If that tells you anything. Yeah, so altogether, not an especially trying game. No. Um, but but I would definitely, NYCFC is definitely going to give them more of a challenge, and, and it, you're definitely going to see what this team is actually capable of against nycfc i think Mm -hmm. that's uh, again that's going to be the biggest test um but the biggest thing for orlando compared to the first two games and the third game is having mauricio pereira back yes yeah he played 60 minutes which was fine you didn't need to play him anymore you know get get him some fitness and let him get back into the shape of things but 60 minutes a strong 60 minutes from him uh had some chances created had a few uh, good looks uh, for himself to shoot. And he opened up the offense for Orlando. Like, just him being there, it makes a huge difference because um, he, he he acts as the linchpin of the offense. You know, he gets the ball, and he's able to pick his head up and find passes that opens things up. Uh, compared to a guy like Andres Perea, who's not necessarily a, a number 10, uh, he can, you know, kind of fill in the role. But... I wouldn't say that he's like your backup number 10 uh, for the future at the very least. No. And the thing with Pereira, uh, something that we kind of knew but didn't officially know until Oscar said it in his postgame press conference uh, this past weekend was that besides Mauricio Pereira missing the games with his suspension, he also picked up a knock that separated him from training during preseason so during the last preseason game he was limping around on the pitch 
and, and we tweeted it out to make a note of it, but he was never actually reported on the injury list because he was already suspended. So I think Orlando City got a, uh, got around the mechanism of having to report the injury because he was already going to miss those two games. So he was out for the first two weeks anyways because of injury, but also because of suspension. So that's another reason he only played 60 minutes in this game because he's still trying to get back into fitness. Yeah, and we we said it last week too, is that a lot of guys haven't really had a preseason. Um, I know Nani was talking about that, where mm-hmm. basically he did not have the, the same sort of uh, off-season regiment that a lot of other guys had like coming into this year. Um, so again, I mean, just working in and... and there's there's a difference between like being in shape and being match shape. I mean, uh, that's I think that's just something that's sort of given. And with guys working their way back into the lineup, um, it's good that Mauricio got 60 minutes of playing time against FC Cincinnati. I mean, not not a, not a slight against those guys, but they're they're not the best team in the world. So I guess that will kind of feel like a preseason game. It's a good. It's a good runaround. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not. Uh, it's not going to be the the biggest test that you might have going forward. So, it's the ideal game to get guys like Mauricio Pereira and João Moutinho minutes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, without, because typically, I mean, you see it in, you see it in the Premier League, like guys coming back from injury, they'll get time with like the the squad's U twenty three team or something like that. But because it just doesn't, there's not a mechanism like that in MLS that games where you might be facing a weaker opponent might be better to to sort of have easier way back in. So right. I mean, there's no mechanism for that for now. Hopefully there will be next year, but we'll see. Yeah, I just worry about, like, how roster rules and Tam Gam players and DPs, how you can allocate those guys if they have to spend time playing with an academy team or a USL team for, like, a match or two, like, how that all will work out. Yeah, so that, that kind of makes things a bit more difficult. Yeah. But. Hey man, those international TAM games, those those things are crazy. Yeah. It's it's gonna be interesting to see how that, that gets worked out. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, this is a whole new level of nerd. It's true. You, you should listen to uh what was it I think Paul Tenorio did like a podcast trying to explain all of MLS mechanisms and it was like an hour and a half of just like reading off the rule book, basically. So if you really if you really want to get into that, then then go find that. Um, this was probably like a year or two ago. Yep, <laughs> that's probably what most people think. As soon as they start hearing talking about Tam and Gam, just kind of shut down. Yep, that's what uh, my brain does. Yep. All right. Last thing I want to talk about when it comes to Orlando City, Nani. Not great first game. Much better second game. And he was. Pretty good, the, the third game. I mean, he had the most shots out of any player on either side. Uh, he scored one that was beautiful, reminiscent to his goal from 2019. Almost exactly I I did manage to get the audio for that, that nanny goal. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot! Can you imagine Mike Breen? on soccer calls well it's the same like it's like can you imagine gus johnson doing soccer and it's like yeah yeah i can 
It's great. Yeah, because he did, and it wasn't. It was okay. Yeah, but there's like a special like there's a special just Gus Johnson magic when he was doing college football that didn't really translate. That but no. but see, I want the opposite of that. I want Ian Dark to call a college football game. Oh, ooh. Hmm. Imagine him calling the Iron Bowl. I mean, there's a there's a there's a there's an episode of Fry in America where Stephen Fry goes to the Iron Bowl and just kind of like takes it all in, but it, just Ian Dark calling a uh, an Iron Bowl would be just amazing. And the fact that he's at ESPN, it should be easier for them to get that done, right? Even just even a college football game for Ian Dark, I think, would be glorious. Yeah, I would pay extra to watch. Oh that. my be- god! god damn it all right um but like i said nani has has played incredibly well over, progressively over the last nani? progressively over the last three games uh to the point where he was he was the you know best offensive player for the lions this uh this past game against cincinnati again low low bar because everyone basically had I mean, the the Lions had twenty two shots. Yeah, it's the game you it's the it's the game you circle on your calendar where you're like, oh, I'm gonna do something stupid this game, and I'll probably get away with it. And guess what? Danny did. He did something really. He like he took guys' souls on that goal. Yeah, you you Yakubo will never get that back. No, no, no. He has to retire now. Those those are the rules. I mean, he might get dropped to the bench after that. Yeah. I, I also I should mention that Yuya Kubo is a forward, not a defender, but yet found himself in that position. Not no, what you want. But yeah, so uh, Nani's goal again, uh, good sign of things to come. Hopefully for the Portuguese winger, you you would hope that as the season goes on, he continues to grow and grow. The biggest worry with Nani, and it has been for the last couple of seasons, is. If he starts off strong, it usually ends in the second half of the season poorly. So far, he's played all three games, and he played ninety minutes. He played ninety minutes against Cincinnati when he probably didn't need to. No, uh, he came. He came off late uh, in the uh, match versus Sporting Kansas City, and I believe he he came off uh, earlier in the first game against Atlanta. But again, you know, there are guys that are coming off in the 60th minute and 70th minute compared to Nani, who's still playing 90 minutes. And if the trend continues, it's just going to happen the same way it did last year, where he plays great the first half half of the season. And then the second half, he's like dead tired and the shell of himself. He came off in the 71st minute against Atlanta. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's still, that's most of the game there. So yeah. And that's three games. So, 71st minute, 89th minute, and then a full 90 progressively. And again, his performances have improved over the course of those three games. So naturally, you'd kind of say, all right, well, I mean, if he's playing well, if he's getting his match fitness, then go for the full 90. But again, you you worry in the back of your head. It's like, well, this has happened the last two years. You, you probably think it's going to happen again if it keeps going like this. So... You need Whoa, a guy. Why don't you cry about it? <laughs> you need a guy like Alexander Alvarado, or even Sylvester Vanderwater to step up, step in, and uh, give Nani a rest sometime soon. 
I don't think it's going to be against this game against NYCFC. I think this game for Nani against Cincinnati was good to get his confidence up. But now looking forward past the NYCFC game, you have at DC United on May 16th. I think that's an ideal situation to try and rest Nani simply because DC United is also kind of bad right now. I I think, I mean, Toronto is also bad. So Toronto's not as bad. Like they're just missing a lot of players right now. And they're, they still, they should be getting right. But they're, they should be getting a lot of those guys back by the time Orlando plays them. And, and here's the funny thing because the game against Toronto is a home game for Orlando. It's in Tampa. No. No? It's in Orlando. Oh. But then the away game on June 19th against Toronto. That one's in Tampa. No. No? It might be in Orlando. Oh. Is there a is there a venue-like conflict? No, because Orlando's playing Toronto. Right. So they just play it at Exploria. Well, but then well, Orlando would be the away team. Well, right. But why wouldn't they make Orlando play in Tampa against Toronto because Toronto's playing all their home games at Exploria oh see here I see I here I thought Toronto was playing in Tampa no they played their one CONCACAF Champions League game against Cruz Azul in Tampa but otherwise they're playing all their their games in mm-hmm. Exploria oh. which is a total of as of right now basically three or four games but their games Correct me if I'm wrong. Their games are closed to fans, correct? This is correct. So this is why I bring this up. Because (laughs) the June 19th game could be at Exploria Stadium and be completely empty because it's a Toronto home game. Yeah. So are they operating... I mean, I would assume they're operating, I guess, under the Canadian guidelines. They're just running under their own guidelines, basically. Well, right. Because if Exploria Stadium wanted to, they could be like, hey... Can we just open up to fans and sell however many tickets? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I imagine. But Tampa's, I, but Tampa's not going to want that because that's that's one of their scheduled home games. And they're not going to see any revenue for it. Wait, Tampa? What? I mean, Toronto. 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 Toronto yeah, I, I would assume. I mean, first of all, I I would think maybe not against Orlando, but I would assume in general, Toronto would in a vacuum prefer having fans in a game than not having fans in the game, whether they're their own fans or not. Having people at a game changes the atmosphere, so I would think in a vacuum they would probably prefer that. I would but also not Orlando all, fans, right? I, but that's why I said this is in general. This isn't just specifically yeah, for yeah, this yeah. game. I wonder. I wonder about that decision. I can't imagine that's a decision that's come from Orlando, because at some level the the club, oh, unless no. like they they would only benefit from allowing Toronto to have fans because they can sell concessions and. Yeah, Orlando Orlando would make a lot of money if they opened it up. Yes. Yeah, I, but that's but that's where I want to know. Like I'm curious as to whose decision that was and is that because Canadian government guidelines right now are different than American guidelines and they're just deciding we're not going to listen to American guidelines, we're going to listen purely to the Canadian guidelines. Not that it's a a rule or a requirement, but just a um just kind of their I mean, guidelines. <laughs> the best way I was trying to come up with an alternative just to not keep repeating <laughs> that same word. But be- because Canada is not opening things up yet, 
like we are because Florida is you want to shove 15,000 people shoulder to shoulder inside an arena, go for it. We don't care. Mm-hmm. So I, I am curious. I'm interested in, and maybe, maybe there's someone to ask. I don't know who, but I not in like a critical way. I just genuinely curious why they've decided that, why that's been the case. I think it's simply because they looked at it and said, who knows how many fans will actually show up to a game for Toronto versus Vancouver? Because if they'd open up to fans and only 2,000 show up, they have to hire stadium security. They have to hire their vendors out. They have to pay all these people uh, as well as like security and all of that. I I just don't think they didn't want to pay anyone, so they're just like, yeah, never mind. No, right. I, I, like, I don't think there's an illegitimate reason to do it. I think there's plenty of valid reasons. I'm just curious as to what the actual you know what i mean like we have we can have all these ideas and these thoughts on like what would make sense and it all makes sense it's an easily just it's not like we look at it and go well that's ridiculous why wouldn't toronto have fans i'm just there's just that part of me that's like well i wonder why you know who made that call was that an orlando call or was that a toronto call and then why not but again and not negatively just curious but no you are right it is interesting that because when orlando plays (laughs) when orlando is the home team in orlando there will be fans, conceivably a, f- a full capacity stadium, or at least close to it, considering when it'll be. And then when they play as the away team in Orlando, there may be no fans. That's going to be a really interesting thing. I'd have I'd have to imagine that the league kind of made that decision because it, it, to give another team an extra amount of gate revenue and like everything else on top of you know it it, i i can't imagine like too many teams would be cool with that so i think they they sort of saw that like yeah no that's not gonna happen now here's here's the other thing this isn't the only away match that orlando will play against toronto july 17th at toronto fc that both of the i should mention the june and july games for tfc are to be determined they didn't plan any games past May 12th, which is TFC's next home game. They haven't planned any other home games out after that because they don't know if they'll be playing in Orlando still or if they're allowed to go back and play in Toronto. So they're basically playing it by ear. So that game on June 19th could be in Orlando, could be in Tampa, or it could be in Toronto. We don't know yet because they're basically playing it by ear. Same with the the game against July 17th. You know, if those restrictions in Canada still continue to linger, then Toronto FC will be playing in Orlando for the foreseeable future. So there you go. Fun times. And with that, I think uh, we should move on to the Pride. Uh, speaking of things that are moving on, not the pride. Yep, that's right. Uh, they are drew against North Carolina nil nil, so they're not going to move on in the NWSL Challenge Cup. They finished third. Um, yep, big, big piece of art that those three games were. Four hey, games. listen, two straight shutouts. Yeah, uh, that's the takeaway from it. I, I mean, yeah. That is 100% the takeaway from it. Two straight shutouts against uh, arguably two decent teams. You know, Washington, maybe uh, not as much. Washington's but North Carolina not. North Carolina, and Paul Riley have said 
multiple times, our goal is to outscore you. We aren't going to try and defend you. And if you have a team that is just all-out attack to hold them to a clean sheet... Wait, I'm sorry. What was the... They're not going to try to defend you? And what was the final score? Nil-nil. All right. All right. Hey, hey, one step at a time. This team had Marta, Alex Morgan, and Sidney LaRue all on the pitch at the same time and didn't manage to score a goal. Yep. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean... Listen, you know, it, one one side it, it stood up and, and did their job, and the other side didn't. I don't know what to tell you. It's art. Yeah, but you know what else is art? What? I, I don't need to finish that sentence. I mean, we've all seen The Office deleted scenes. Stinky! Listen, guys, I, I, I may be incredibly optimistic here, but I think the pride will be better as the regular season starts. I mean, you'd almost imagine they'd have to be, right? Like, it's not that they were bad. It's just that this, I mean. It was preseason oh. for them. Like, they didn't treat this as a as a meaning. Like, they treated it as somewhat of a meaningful com- competition. But, like, they were basically just trying things out and trying players out in different positions. Um, for the first two I, games, they were missing. So, put it to you this way. The first two games, they were missing Alex Morgan, Gunny Yon's daughter, who both played the, sec- the the last two games? Uh. The first and they, two games, and they looked better. It was a draw better. and a loss. Yeah, right. and they looked better in the last two games for sure. Right. So you know, if a, a fully did, healthy and fully, uh, I mean, better. Yeah, I mean, it's cool that they're better, but like, man, after such an underwhelming last like three years of, I guess they're okay, like. That's a that's about as all you can really say for them, and it's it's. I mean, literally kinda... twenty. I mean, twenty seventeen was the only year that they were good. Yeah, and they immediately bowed out in the playoffs. Yeah. Um. I guess they're okay. Is is about as much as anyone could say about them for their entire history, pretty much. And, you know, after an entire year of not having. The pride play, I guess they're okay. Is it's just not like it's not what you want right off the bat. I guess, like oh right, I forgot. This is just okay. So I I think part of it that we're seeing because honestly I I think there's a lot of parallels between the performance of the pride and the performance of Orlando City over over the first few games that they played. I think the big difference is that Orlando City are coming off of a very promising season and their pride are not for various reasons. Some being, I mean, obviously last year with COVID and so not having a season, but also even before that not being amazing, right? So they, they don't get that same. For them, it's you've been not great. Can you get better? We're not sure. And for Orlando, it's you, for Orlando City, it's you were doing really well. Was that a fluke? okay, we're seeing promising things. So I think it's because realistically it's you look at you're missing some of your best players for the first first couple games. You're slowly getting back to what you see. We're starting to see a couple promising things. It's starting to improve. I think the difference is Orlando City gets a little bit more of that benefit of the doubt than the pride. I'm not arguing that that's unfair because Orlando, the Orlando City had a good season and the pride have yet to to deliver on that. 
but I do think it's it's pretty similar between the two. I, I get I get what Kyle's putting down here. I mean, uh, here's the thing: when they made it to the playoffs in 2017, and they they quickly bounced out. 2018 rolled around that, and I think a lot of Pride fans were like, "All right, they made the playoffs. This is not an easy league to make the playoffs in. There's there's usually about four or five teams like that are that there's there's really only about four or five teams that have a chance to make the playoffs every year. Everyone else is just kind of there." And they they kind of ended 2018 on just an underwhelming down note. And it was like, oh, okay, well, that's cool, I guess. And it's kind of just been like that ever since, really. So the fact that there, there had been some promise shown and people started to get invested in it and then it was paid back with not a lot of results, I think that that's a big contributing factor as to why um results like this um just aren't as eye-catching as when city sort of has a middling start to their season because they're under both teams are under different leadership and there's there's different guidance and the philosophies around building them are different but it all still it's it's meet the new boss same as the old boss really like that's what it comes down to for the pride I, I think that the first eight games of this NWSL season will tell the tale of not only the pride, but also Mark Skinner. Um, I, I feel that, you know, 2019 was bad. The excuse was that he hasn't gotten his players together. He's he's working with Tom Sermani's team, which, fair. Uh, you know, he inherited a bad team, and they were still bad, and they didn't improve. So... I'll give him the benefit of the doubt to that. 2020, they didn't have a season. They had four, they had four games. That was it. And, yeah. and most of their players were loaned out. And yeah, 2021, fair. they've had four games, you know? And, and this is still a very new team because they didn't play last year. This is their first year together, essentially, for most of these players. So there's still, there's still a lot to be figured out over the course of the season women's soccer did this this funny thing in in football there's always that question of like would alabama beat the jets and everyone's like no they're that's you're talking about professional athletes your your guy on the bench is better than your guy on the bench your guy on the bench in the pros is better than your guy on the bench in college no that wouldn't happen uh, except um in women's soccer, they do play a preseason where the Orlando Pride played Florida State. Um, anyone care to revisit what the result of that game between the Pride and number one Florida State were? They actually played twice against Florida State, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, okay. But, I mean, here's the thing. Does anyone recall what happened in that game against Florida State? The second one, you mean? Yeah, the one that Florida State won. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yep. Yeah. The pride, pride lost to a, a, a college team, and then they beat the college team a, a month earlier. Sure, if I remember that correctly. Yeah, I, it's, it's it's just one it's of those preseason where... though. Brad, we we talk about this all the time. Preseason doesn't matter. Yeah, but I think when you're when you're building a team and trying to figure out what what the hell kind of team it is, it does matter. 
Because, I mean, if I'm Mark Skinner, like, of course, I'm going to go throw everything out there right away, but I'm at least going to try to figure out what I can do. I mean, the 2017 Pride, I'm pretty sure, lost to Florida State and then made the playoffs. Did they? I don't... I mean, I don't. I don't remember who they played. I don't remember what they're what they did in the preseason. I'm pretty sure they they the preseason games that I remember from back then. I I sort of remember them winning, but I I could be wrong. I don't I don't remember exactly. I mean, it's 2017. It's like forever ago. They did play Florida State. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, they closed door friendly. Yeah, they also played the US U23 national team. Back in 2017, and UF and USF. Wow. More to my point. This year, yes, they they did get a two one victory over Florida State back in March, and but then they also lost to them, which is not. Uh, it's I not was wrong. Promising. Pride Pride beat Florida State in 2017 three nothing. Yeah, I, I sort of that's that's what I was thinking. I sort of remember them. I do remember them playing a match, but I also remember the Pride. 2018, 2018 Orlando Pride lost to Florida State. Which, hey, if if history is any indication, any indicator of what is to happen in the future, yeah. Still, still trying to figure out a couple kinks there. I think. Again, preseason results don't matter as much. I would say there's still time to figure things no, out. I mean, I they will don't give them I mean, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, they, the, I, until they prove me otherwise. You know, the, like. Like I said, there's a lot of reasons to say, okay, this team can be better. There's a lot of team reasons that I can say this team is going to be terrible. But we have to let it play out and see how everything goes. They've got two weeks now until the beginning of the regular season where they host the Washington Spirit in the middle of May. We'll see what happens. That's all I yeah. can say right now. I mean, that's all I mean, that's all there there really is to say about it. I mean, they they didn't perform great in the challenge cup i mean mm-hmm. the one game they lost it was a pretty tight loss but other than that like if that's if that's the, like at least they're not getting blown out yeah if right? that's the bar then i mean i don't know it's it's that's basically where you're at i guess i don't know again they they lost one nothing to gotham after controlling most of the game they beat washington and they drew North Carolina. And then they drew Racing Louisville as well. They're not terrible results. I think the draw, against, the, the draw against Racing Louisville, well, you also concede late. Is... Right. And, and you, again, you can chalk that up to you know, first, your first game in a forever ago. Because, again, like half the team that played in that game against Racing Louisville didn't play with the Pride over the last couple years. Um, yeah, I mean... I mean, if you look look at who started that game, like when you go when you go look at the lineup that Orlando played against Racing Louisville, Allie Riley, new, Phoebe McClendon, new, Konya Plummer, new, Maggie Doherty Howard, new, Jade Moore, new, Taylor Korniak, new. Yeah, I mean it's it's a new team because I mean obviously we've they're going to have quite a bit of turnover, you know, heading into Mark Skinner's like we'll say like his actual first year that he gets to, to field this team. So. I mean, six, yeah, again, six of the 11 players that started the game against the uh, new expansion team were new. And then the subs, the subs that came on too with Erica Timrak and Abby Kim, they're new too. And I did, and I, and I did say a while ago when talking about 
Nani in, our, in Orlando City that that being in shape and being in playing shape are two different things. And, and again, when they made a, a big deal about Orlando City picking up their first win in 655 some odd days. You mean you the pride, know, yeah. The pride, yeah. Again, they're they're still working their way back into to fitness, but I mean, I don't know. I guess I guess I just have to see more to really yeah. get a good I, idea I mean, that's, as to that's who the they thing, are. I think a lot and, of people need to see more because again, we've seen eight games in the past two years. So yeah, far. and and that's just the thing is that I think as as we get a better idea of who this team actually is, and because the the thing is, there are pieces that are there. I mean, like the big names are still there. Like we we know who those players are. We know what they're capable of. Well, it's that's just, the that's the thing though. A lot of those big names are getting older now. They're not as as good as they used to be. And that's where you see the the drawback in a lot of the older regimes' philosophy around building for the pride is that they just refused to draft anyone and build towards the future, right. and instead relied on you know the international players, players who yeah. you know uh, either aren't here anymore. Like Sid, Sid is thirty, Alex Morgan's thirty-one, Ashland's thirty-five, Ali Krieger's thirty-six, um, even Gunny is thirty-two. But then you have the complete opposite, where you have so many young players. Brittany Wilson's twenty-three, yeah. uh, Carrie Lawrence is twenty-three, Courtney Peterson's twenty-three, Phoebe McClarendon, who's starting, she's twenty-three, Konya Plummer, who's captained her national team, is twenty-three, Ali Heron's twenty-four. Vigiano's 24. Uh, Taylor Korniak is 22 and the tallest player in the league. Chelsea Washington's 23. Maggie Doherty Howard, who's been in the league for a couple years, she's 25. You know, and then you have Abby Kim, who's 22, and Crystal Thomas, who's 27. So you I, have a base of old, or not, I shouldn't say old, but. Um, veteran players, definitely. Veteran players, yeah. yes. You have a base of veteran players and a base of young players These are, and that those can are, mix together. And those are players that have played at the highest level of the game now for their entire career. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you say Alex Morgan, Sinu LaRue, Ali Krieger, Ashlyn Harris, Marta, those are all players that either you either consider playing on the, the best 11 teams uh, – for their position or in Marta's case being the best player in the world for many years. Mm-hmm. So having that core there, you would, you would think that they, you would have some kind of idea as to what result they can bring you. But, but again, I mean, they, they still have to play their way back into shape and, you know, not playing for as long as they did. I mean, even Alex Morgan, when she was loaned out to Tottenham, I think only started like twice. Yeah, she she did not play very much, and again, she's coming off pregnancy, so like. Yeah, I mean, she yeah, it's uh, so there's just there's just a lot to to really factor into how these players might look to start out with. I mean, it's it it doesn't look like much right now, but I mean, again, I but like I just, uh, uh, just got to see more. Basically, is, is right. all I'm really getting the to. the the last thing I'll say when it comes to the pride is if you look at their roster and it's mixed with veteran players and young players, and then you look at some other teams, their rosters are more, I would say on the on the younger side of things. Yeah, they're they're not as reliant on some of the the veteran players. Uh, they have players younger than thirty that are considered veterans. Uh, that are playing at the top of their game. And I think that goes back to how this team was founded back in 2016, 
where they brought in all these players and they basically built their brand around Alex Morgan and Ashlyn Harris, you know, and, and then in 2017, they brought in Marta. So you build your brand around the, the best players at the time, but then five years down the road, if you're still trying to build that brand around the same players, the on-field product may take a hit. Now, I'm not saying that it's because of those players that they're not playing well. Far from it. I think the younger players are, are making young mistakes, but the, the, you know you learn from those. I just think that you can't be as reliant on those players as you used to be. There needs to be a future for this team. And uh, right now, Mark Skinner is trying to build it with some of the draft picks that he has made and some of the signings he has brought in. Uh, but like you said before, and like I've said, it remains to be seen. We'll have to see more of how this all plays out. Because let's face it, in 2016, when the Pride finished close to bottom of the league, there were questions about Tom Sermani and his job. And then 2017, he turned it around, and he, you know, everyone's like, keep him, you know, sign him for a couple years. And then 2018 happened. And they're like, all right, time to go again. And this time he did. It all remains to be seen. And I think we can leave it at that. On to other Orlando soccer. The OC Academy 23s suffered their first loss of the season after outscoring all of the other teams 24-2 in their first four games of the season. I'm pissed now! They outscored their teams, the other teams 24-2 in their first four games and then lost to the CFL Gosa Spurs 4-2. Now, the one thing that I will note about the CFL Gosa Spurs is they have a multiple uh, a multiple amount of players that used to play for the Orlando Seawolves. Stinky! <laughs> so you can now say that players from the Orlando Seawolves beat the Academy for Orlando City. Uh, literally not the team you want to have a loss to. To be fair, I mean, the players that play for CFL Gosa Spurs are probably the better team players from the Seawolves. Uh, right. And some of but, them some of them actually did not they were on the roster but they weren't allowed to play. So. Well. Huh. Fancy. Fancy that. Yeah. Got 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 to love those uh visas, you know. Well, why don't you cry about it? <laughs> Said I'm more of a Mastercard guy myself. <laughs> All right. So, the uh, OC Academy 23s have four games left in their season. They play Dennis Chan's OFC Barca on Wednesday at Osceola Heritage Park. So tune in to watch Dennis Chin versus the Academies, the old guard versus the new guard, if you will. It's possible that Orlando City could lose to the Seawolves and Orlando City in like the same like two weeks, basically. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's cool. Super fun times over there. I am the type of person that doesn't talk negative. You said tune into that and, you know, or not is always a an option. This is true. You you don't have to tune in. I think on a Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, what else are you going to be tuning into? Uh, the back of my the back of my eyelids. Oh, yeah, because you're you're going to be you're, you're going to be asleep. Of course, AW Dynamite. Oh, is that Wednesday nights? Wednesday Night Dynamite, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, there you go. If you want to watch soccer, 
some minor league, less than minor league soccer, then there you go. OC Academy 23s will be there for you. Speaking of less than minor league soccer, the NPSL's Central Florida Soccer Club Panthers have signed officially Will Johnson. We talked about it last week on the show. This bozo over here. We talked about it last week on the show. Put some a little bit of respect on his name. As he signed as uh, not only a player, but according to the release, uh, he is also joined as a player mentor. Also, the, the release called him an Orlando City icon, and uh, let's just say that Orlando City fans took offense to that. Okay, okay, but he... He is one of, like, he's not an icon. In terms of Orlando City MLS players, he's probably one of the most recognizable names. We're saying we're saying Will Johnson's an Orlando City icon? I just said he wasn't, though. No, no, no. I, I, I understand. We're, we're in agreement. I'm calling an emergency meeting here and just going to suss out uh, anyone who refers to uh, Will Johnson as an Orlando City icon. So this kind of this kind of like it's very similar to my frustration with most articles that are written about movies where they're always like Guardians of the Galaxy star Sean Gunn, who's not a star in the movie. It's it's the same idea, right? Where they're like he does the the performance capture for Rocket. That's okay, but everybody knows Rocket as as being Bradley Cooper. My point being, they'll do this stuff where where movies are crackling in the movie. Yeah, not a major character. Point is, they'll do that where they'll take someone who has anything more than a cameo role, go, oh, this person's a star. And it's it's the same concept here sports-wise. It's just, oh, yeah, he played there. We remember seeing his name. So, you know, Orlando City icon. And then Orlando City fans are like, no, the icons were the guys that won us USL championships. See, again, knowing your history about the club probably would help you in this situation the the part about calling him an icon is like there's a part of me that wants to go it's no big deal who cares but then there's the other part of me that feels this visceral rage anytime i see an article or a tweet call someone a star that's not a star for something so i i totally get it i'm i can't believe i'm saying this but i'm with the fans on this one unjustifiably in a position that i'd rather not be in there you go Anyways, Will Johnson signed to the Panthers. Their season starts in the midst of May, uh, I believe May 15th in Winter Park. They're going to be playing all their home games at Showalter Field. They've also signed a number of players from UCF and Stetson and Rollins and uh, a lot of local guys, so it'll be fun. Plus, Tom Traxler, head coach, Louis Neal, assistant coach, as well as BTLO Jean-Jacques, who used to play for Orlando back in 2014. And that's all I got for the Central Florida Soccer Club Panthers. Speaking of UCF, they played just last night. And by last night, I mean Sunday night. And this was in order to go to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. So this was a big match because this would have made back-to-back Sweet 16s for UCF. They played James Madison. Took a 1-0 lead early on. Four minutes into the game, they were up 1-0 thanks to Gino Vivi. Go into halftime up 1-0. Second half begins five minutes in. James Madison equalize. And it looks like it's going to be a really tough game. 
Five minutes after that, UCF, great combination of play, where Gino Vivi finds Mauricio Villalobos cutting into the box. He slots it across, and Luca Dorado, who has been on form as of late, chests it into the back of the net. UCF goes up 2-1, and they manage to hold on to that result to make the Sweet 16 journey for the second straight year. And now, they get the pleasure of facing the second-seeded team in the nation, Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's a trash school, though. UCF's going to win easily. Pittsburgh. So let me take it back here. Bowling Green University, a.k.a. Brent Petkus's alma mater, where he was goalkeeper. Yes, I was. Lost to Monmouth 2-1. to one. Monmouth got the pleasure of playing Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh won 6-1 to one over Monmouth. And now UCF gets to play Pittsburgh. Yeah, easy win. Pittsburgh's trash. It's a trash university. Now, if I said Penn State, it's going to be playing Georgetown in the Sweet 16. Georgetown being number eight in the nation. Yeah, also Georgetown, trash university. It's going to lose. We will see. Uh, That game for UCF will be played in just a couple days. Officially, May 6th. Time to be determined. So pay attention to all of the uh, social media channels for UCF in order to find out what time it will be. Um, But May 6th, being Thursday, is when UCF will go and try for an Elite Eight appearance in a very weird 2020-2021 season. I'm just glad that the, the college soccer world decided to put Pitt in. They are the number two team in the nation, so they put themselves in. Hey, that's what happens when you put Pitt in. I feel like I'm missing something here. Yeah, there's a there's maybe that's that's a real one percent joke for people who also listen to Every Day Should Be Saturday. Ah, there you go. That and I do the shut, not the shutdown full cast. That if you get it, you get it. I guess. Yeah, if you know, you know. Right, guys, we're at the end of the show of soccer. Would we like to talk about weird news and red cards, or would we like to end the show here? I mean, of, of course we'd love to. Well, then who's got some weird news? I, I got I got one. Uh, Netflix actors filming robbery scene uh, under siege by armed police, believing it to be a real thing. <laughs> 300 men stormed into the building in uh, Algenet, just sort of south of... Albafira and demanded that everyone lie down on the floor. Five civil guard patrols quickly gathered in front of the building with policemen hidden behind the vehicles pointing their guns at the robbers. Uh, this is a brief summary of the incredible story that occurred last week in Algenet, a small town in Valencia province bordering the marshes of Albafera. Aitor Espert. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm I'm probably very much butchering that name. A Spanish director almost got arrested while filming a scene for his new series Power Boys, which is set to premiere next year on the Netflix streaming platform. The reason for this is when the mayor approved a robbery scene that was taking place in City Hall uses a landmark as a location for the bank, no one thought to advise the police. You would think that's the first thing you would do. Yeah, so you're, you're on scene filming a location. Uh, apparently you have the okay from the mayor and just no one else knew what was going on. So uh, the panic began when neighbors called 112, which uh, I guess is 911 in Spain, to report that a group of hooded men armed with automatic weapons had entered City Hall. Um, 
They said the police response was quick and summoned all patrols to the area and soon five patrols surrounded the building. Policemen drew weapons, hid behind the vehicles, and watched the robbers and began negotiating with the perpetrators for the best solution. Uh, well, just basically actually playing out the movie, but in real life without any of the police actually knowing that it was a movie or a TV series for Netflix. Huh. Weird. So yeah, police police thought actors were actually robbing or I mean taking hostages you know, in city hall. Method acting to a new level, I guess, right? Yeah. Again, it would it would probably have best served everyone had the police known what was going on. There and you go. The other people in the town know what was going on. This is where we find out that the police were actually in on it and they were acting as well. Oh, and it was oh, so super convincing meta. that 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 local media are the ones that fell for it. It was a, it was a cover for the real robbery that was going on. But then we also find out that the local media were in on it and they were just playing us for suckers. Huh. I also have a uh, Denver Beer Company falls uh, nine hundred ninety nine million nine hundred ninety three thousand eight hundred and seventy dollars short of fundraising goal to buy Rockies. I was looking at that one too. All right, That's so amazing. Uh, speaking of Colorado, I've got one. Oh boy, boulders blocking Boulder Canyon in Boulder, Colorado, according to the Boulder County Sheriff's Office. It's just peak irony. The roads in Boulder are blocked by boulders. The other, the other, actually great weird news is that a British sex toy company receives an award from Queen Elizabeth II. If you'd, if you'd like to put some thought into how much knowledge she has about that, you will find yourself very disturbed and probably not want to eat for the next 24 hours. <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, she's been busy since her husband left. <laughs> and, you know, Prince Philip, sex toy, both inanimate objects. <laughs> oh, dear God. So my weird news for the day, a New Jersey man spent years as a fake rabbi in Israel. I I really wanted to pick that one, but I felt like you were the best one to do that because yep. I didn't want it to seem offensive from any of the rest of us. Yeah, uh, it, it, it looked very tasty from, from my perspective because I am Jewish, so... Naturally, I figured like, yeah, you know, this is I should probably. I, I feel like I have an obligation to bring this one out. So, <laughs> uh, a self-professed good Jewish boy from New Jersey, Rabbi Michael Elkhorn, has come a long way uh, from going to an ultra-orthodox enclave in Jerusalem, where he now lives. But for 15 years, he was living a lie. Father of five, but he's a Christian missionary sent to the Holy Land to convert Jews. That that sounds about right. Yeah. So he's like a, a deep state spy by Christians to try and convert ultra orthodox <laughs> Jews to Christianity. So re- a religious double agent. <laughs> yeah, those those are things. But now now that he's come clean, he could be f- charged with falsifying his identity, immigration fraud practicing circumcision illegally, and collecting charity under false pretenses. <laughs> Jesus. Ima- imagine getting a circumcision from a fake rabbi and then 
realizing that it was fake. Oh, I have very important breaking news on this episode that's going to be a day late for everybody. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt this important story, but Bill and Melinda Gates are getting divorced after 27 years of marriage. Wow. Big news. Very big news. You you heard it here first on the Orlando (laughs) Soccer Show. Starting to hear rumblings out out of... uh, Tomorrow afternoon. Hear rumblings out of Bellevue. (laughs) Now it's a competition between Melinda Gates and Mackenzie Bezos to see who can give away the the most money in the shortest period of time. So here's here's a um a twist to the development of this story. He was actually born Jewish, but then spent Bill Gates? No. <laughs> Jesus. The rabbi that I was talking about. I'm sorry. He was born I... Jewish and then uh has worked as a missionary for 7 or 8 years. Again, this story goes very deep and goes for a lot longer, but it, it's worth a read. Hey, you know what? You know how we feel about things that are deep that go a lot longer here on the Orlando <laughs> Soccer Show. Uh, and speaking of, let's finish out the show with our red cards for today. I will go first because I have uh, a very good one. It is White Castle. My red card today is to White Castle because it opened... Monday, in Orlando, Monday, May 3rd, it opened in Orlando, and people are obviously very excited because, you know, White Castle coming to Florida, woo, what a a time. The line for White Castle at 9 a.m. when it opened was a mile long and a four-hour wait. Four hours to get white castle you can buy white castle at Publix, like all of them just you can buy frozen white castle burgers at Publix, and i guarantee you not that different because comparatively speaking to the macho man randy savage you are nothing but garbage yeah i mean objectively white castle is garbage when it comes to the hierarchy of fast food i would say White Castle is not worth waiting four and a half hours in line on a Monday morning to get. Mm-mm. Unless you're drunk. If, unless you're super drunk and but time if, has if, lost all meaning to you. But that's that's the perfect time to get White Castle. Right. Not at 9 a.m. on a Monday morning. Hey, I don't know, I don't know people's lives. I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to judge you. If you're drunk at 9 yeah, a.m. Yeah, maybe, 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 maybe don't judge people for that, you know? What for being drunk at nine a.m.? Yeah, on a I, Monday. I don't see anything. I don't see anything particularly wrong with that. The the previous few World Cups have happened in time zones ahead of ours. So this is getting true. this is drunk okay, this at is, nine a.m. You know what? If there is an event that that like the like the world's biggest White Castle opening up, is it the world's biggest? Is it actually? Yeah, I think it it's, is. It, it, is yeah. it is the world's biggest White Castle. I think that's the big draw for it. <sighs> not 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 just a White Castle opening, but that it is the world's largest. All right, all right. You know what? Your beef is still valid. Don't recant it. I am the type of person that doesn't talk negative. I'm done. I'm moving on. Guys, what's your red cards for the day? Um, I, I've got one if Brad doesn't. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Brad. Kyle. So my red card is with Lion Nation and Lion Nation TV. Ooh. Yeah. I have made I have made a commitment this year to watching Orlando City. I have gone the only the only times I can't watch 
Orlando soccer teams are when the Pride are playing on the CBS Sports Network because for whatever reason, the apps that I use just refuse to work and I'm too lazy to go watch them at my computer because that's why I have a TV. So, for the Orlando City game this weekend, I was like, you know what? It's it's just going to be easier for me to log in on my desktop. I can hook up an HDMI cord to the TV. I'll watch it from there. It's fine. I go to the Lion Nation site. I try to create an account. It keeps putting me through a login loop. I go, okay, whatever. I use multiple different emails. It was just being a pain. So, you know what? Maybe it's my maybe it's my $3000 computer that is surely the problem here and not their shitty website. So I went and tried it on the app. Thinking, well this will this will work, right? Right? They, they talk about the app all the time. So let me use the app on my on my iPhone. Didn't work. So I said surely it must be the the ridiculously priced Apple product here that's the problem so maybe an even more ridiculously priced apple product will fix the problem so i I use my laptop still same issue would not would not work could not get it to work and sure i can log in to some shady websites and watch games sure i have done that in the past i did not do it for this game because I was so angry with the fact they made a big deal out of, first of all, they made a big deal out of, oh, if you pay, you're going to get to watch these games, which thank God I didn't sign up for that, because I would have been even more furious if I had paid for that. And then they made the announcement that, oh, actually, we're just going to make all these games free for anybody to watch, because we want everybody to watch the games. But you can't watch them, because it doesn't work. I was not the only person having problems. I went on to Facebook, which, by the way, always a mistake. Never open Facebook. But I did, and it was full of people going, wow, this does not work. And the first time I started to see the overwhelming amount of people say it was working was at about halftime. And at that point, there was no way in hell I was going to go through the effort to actually get it set up and figured out. I decided to protest and not watch and followed along through through live tweets and watching clips and seeing seeing brief things through there. But So my red card is with, is with Lion Nation for not allowing me to watch just a full 90 minutes because your app is garbage. Because in the year 2021, after everyone has spent a year at home doing everything online, you know, creating working apps or websites is very difficult to do. The internet is a new thing. Al Gore only recently invented it, so I can see how we still can't figure this out. I'm pissed now! Does it work for you now, though? I don't know. I haven't checked. It <laughs> probably does. I, I, well, why don't you it, cry about it? Maybe I already did. Maybe that's why I was drunk at 9 a.m. waiting in line at White Castle today. Thank you very much. He's busy just letting that glow of missing the game wash over you. <laughs> all right, Brad, do you have a red card for this week? Or are you all good? Uh, yeah, you know, I got a, I got a virtual red card. Um, it, it's to it's to Don Mattingly. Uh, in my version of uh, MLB The Show 21. Um, you know, uh, when you start a Road to the Show game, uh, your player uh, starts out not very good. And slowly, like, you, you start, you'll, you'll probably start in the minors. Like, you'll, you'll head down there. I've worked my way up from Double uh, A Pensacola Blue Wahoos to the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp now. Um, got invited to Marlin Spring Training. Managed to lead the team in hits, RBIs, and home runs through spring training, and yet for some reason was still optioned down to AAA uh, Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. So you know what? 
Um, yeah, you know, uh, I hope the Marlins never win anything ever again in their lives, uh, <laughs> virtual and in real life. Um, it's okay. They, they won't. No, and they won't, and they never will, because they're the Marlins, and uh, I hope everything they do uh, fails. Just fails. Because of the virtual Don Mattingly. Because of virtual Don Mattingly, yes. They've made, a, they've made an enemy for life. <laughs> That's like if Kyle was playing football manager and Marcus Rashford like said he hated Manchester United or something, and he would hate real-life Marcus Rashford for that. I think Kyle is a bit more rational than me in this scenario because I'm literally saying that the the Miami Marlins have made an enemy for life uh, because of the way uh, virtual Don Mattingly has treated my player in MLB <laughs> The Show 21. Well, I don't know, Kyle. Would would you be like that? I'm honored that he thinks I would be rational about something. I think he <laughs> is correct in this. I think I am capable of seeing the difference occasionally in in online sports games and real life sports. I think, I think the real Don Mattingly would be like, Oh, this guy is clearly the best hitter on our team. We should invite him to the, our major league roster and not like virtual Mattingly was like Jackson. I mean, I mean, Don Mattingly. Yes, but I don't know if it's fair to assume the Miami Marlins organization would make the smart decision there or the right, I mean, he's already he's already on the forty man roster, so that that literally would just come down to Don Mattingly. Could always be someone above him. There's one guarantee in life, and that there are no guarantees. Yeah. Also, I'd like to give one brief serious red card, Mm. and that is to Caitlyn Jenner, who, oh boy, the day before recording this, made it very clear that she does not believe that trans women should be allowed to compete in women's sports. And then today announces that she is participating in a women's golf tournament. And I'm sorry, but that's the biggest crock of bullshit. Yeah, that does that does suck. That's that's a pretty. You can't do this. It's wrong and unfair. But I. But can. I'm doing it. Yeah, I I'm the exception to the rule. Meanwhile, there are there are children nationwide who are just being targeted by these bills in several states for literally no reason, as we saw over over the weekend, West Virginia Governor Jim Justice on, uh, I, I believe it was MSNBC who was being asked, he was being asked, can you give an example of any time that, that, a, that a, you know, trans female athlete has had an unfair advantage? And he goes, well, you know, I don't really have an example. And they went, yes, because there are none. So, you know, unfairly attacking kids for all this, and then you have someone who should have theoretically been in a position to try to make some sort of an impact and then went, no, fuck you. I've got mine. Who cares about you? Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters, no. Right. If anything else uh, needs to be said, say it now or forever hold your peace or else we're going to end the show. Have you ever had a dream that that you um you had you 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 could you do you you want you you could Ah, every time I hear that it's just physical pain. Uh, anyways, uh with with that fun line, 
here at the end of the Orlando Soccer Show. We're going to end it. So for the not here, Gavin Eubank. This bozo over here. The hashtag fire Gavin. We, we all know it now. If you listen to the show to this point, be sure to tweet Gavin and hashtag fire Gavin. Uh, at four, Brad Newton. And for Kyle Foley, my name is Austin David. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Orlando Soccer Show. We do this every week now, back into the groove of things. So be sure to come back here next week as we break it all down again for you. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll see you later.